Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So my title this morning is Obedience is Worship to God. And I've got a little PowerPoint slide as we go through, as we go through. There it is. Obedience is Worship to God. I think it's very important as we go through these scriptures, if you, I'm not going to go into like details of what the book of 1 John's all about, because I've done, this is, I think this is the first, second, okay, this is the third teaching in 1 John. So get the past teachings, because I kind of dig deep in that, the, um, the background of why John is writing. Even though John doesn't specifically say, hey, this is John, I'm writing to this church, but everything in what he's writing in 1 John, it's only five chapters. Everything that he's writing, you can compare it to the book of John, the gospel of John, and it's like word for word the same kind of themes that he's bringing out. The reason why he's writing this book is he wants to refute this, uh, this teaching, this false teaching that these Gnostics, you know, people who are seeking higher knowledge, today we can look at them as like uh, new age people, who think that the body, they believe that the body is evil and the spirit is good. The spirit is the only thing that's good, right? So one of the issues he's dealing with is the teaching that, the teaching of the Gnostics, this group who claim to have special knowledge, you know, there are religions that started with that type of thinking, with special knowledge. Oh, we have this special knowledge. Now we're going to start this thing, this movement, this church. But it's a false religion. It's false. Because they have this special knowledge that only they have. And that in order to have what they have, we have to come in and they have to teach us the special knowledge. The word of God is the counsel that we need. Everything that we hear about Christianity, Christians, how to be a disciple... We have to, if we hear it from somebody, we have to go back to the Word of God and search it out for ourselves. The Holy Spirit that lives in me that's teaching this message lives in you. The Holy Spirit has to agree with what I'm telling you. If he doesn't, then we have to search the Scriptures, the seech, to look at these things if I'm telling the truth or not. So there is no special knowledge here. It's the Word of God. So these people believe that they have the only real but secret keys to knowing God, right? They believe that anything physical was evil, and only non-physical things could be good. There were two groups that came from this, this type of teaching. One believed that since anything physical was sinful, and since, and since that means our physical pod, bodies are sinful and beyond help, why not just go ahead and live the way that you want to live? Hey, if the spirit is good, I have this body who is just... The body's no good, but the spirit is good. Why don't we just live the way that we see fit? It's like living la vida loca, getting all you can get in this world. Have you ever heard the expression, hey, you only have one life to live. Live it up, man. When I was in darkness, I heard that a lot. I lived it a lot. Right? I only have one life to live. I'm going to enjoy and fulfill everything that I desire, even though it was sinful. And then God comes in and opens up your mind and heart, and you're like, man, I was lost. The other group believed that 
They have the ability to alienate themselves far enough from sinful physical things that they could become sinless because they have no contact with other people. We see these in like some of the monks. They want to separate themselves because they don't want to be involved in the world because if they are in the world, they'll be influenced by the world and then they'll commit sin. So there's one extreme and then there's another extreme. And John is addressing these things. Right? On the next slide it says, the purpose of 1 John is this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. If you have your Bible, you can just flip there or you can read it up here. It says this. John is writing, and this is at the end of this letter. And he's writing, I write these things to you, to you, the church, the believer. If you confess, if you profess to be a Christian, a believer, I'm writing these things to you. And what does he write? To you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that what? That you may know that you have eternal life. This is the purpose of this book, that we may know, to know, to know that we have eternal life, because it's not of your works. It's not of anything that you bring to the table in order for you to enter into God's kingdom. Because if that were true, then it would be a religion of works, right? I'm going to work myself to heaven. I'm going to go to church because I want to earn points for God. I want everybody else to see it becomes religion. Religion kills. You think about all the other religions in the world. It's always people trying to earn something to somebody But Christianity is what? God did it for you. He did it for me. By faith, by faith in Jesus Christ, we come to know him. What is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus sinless. He came to this world. He lived a life, the perfect life that you and I cannot live. Because we are flawed. We are sinful people. He's the only person that you can come to, that you can go to in order to have God's satisfaction of the wrath for sin. The only one. You can't bring your mommy and daddy with you because they're sinful too, right? So what the purpose is for John that we may know that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and go to the next slide, and we'll look at this. We'll read the verse, and then we'll come back to it and break it down. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, it reads this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, in Jesus. Whoever says he abides in Jesus, in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, 
Let's go back and let's look at the first first uh, verse in chapter 2. It says, my, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. On the very next slide, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So John is writing this letter specifically to the church to deal with sin. Sin. How many, think about your week this past week. How many sins have we committed before God? We may not sin and others see us like, you know, we're a drug addict or an adulterer or a womanizer or the sins that people see. How many sins of the heart, of the mind that we've committed before him? John is writing the deal with sin. And he starts off by saying, my little children, this is a term of endearment. He gets this from the Lord Jesus Christ where he was his disciple. And you could read through the Gospels and Jesus always mentions, my dear little children, come to me. And in the, uh, the upper room discourse, he gives this title, my dear little children. And he always says, Oh, my dear, when the disciples mess up and they don't get what Jesus is teaching, he says, my dear little children, let me explain this to you again. And he gives them a little story, a parable to explain it. So John is getting this from him. My dear little children, that's a term of endearment. John is probably in his 80s, close to 90. And so everyone to him is a dear little child. Oh, little child, you just came to the faith in Christ. Let me tell you about something. Remember, the Gnostics didn't believe that Jesus lived on the earth, that he was never a man. He was just a spirit. But John is reminding them in 1 John chapter 1 that you guys are crazy. If you miss Jesus, you miss the whole thing. Because Jesus lived, and I was with Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I saw Jesus perform miracles, feed the 5,000. I saw him heal the sick. I saw him bring people back to life. And if you think Jesus was a spirit, he never was here, then what are we doing here? What are we doing here? He's telling these guys. He's writing, so you may not sin. That you and I may not sin. If you are a believer this morning, God has gifted you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power that we have to overcome sin. I know that because I use, I use my sinful ways to excuse myself to enjoy my selfishness. The Holy Spirit has answers for us, guys. He has answers for you. When you come into a temptation... The word of God battles that. When we are tempted to sin, before it even becomes a sin, we are tempted. It comes through our thoughts, right? And if you don't check your thoughts, those thoughts turn into actions. You harbor those things in your mind. That's why the Bible tells us we have to renew our minds daily. With what? His word. And his word tells us that when, we, when you are saved, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God has gifted you. That nothing can take that away from you. And he says, the lesson here that John wants to get across is to move away from sin. When we come to a place where we choose right or wrong, the Holy Spirit empowers us 
This is what I do. This is practical. God, I'm having these thoughts. Please empower me with your Holy Spirit. Without you, I cannot overcome them. Supernaturally, God empowers you to overcome those things. And that's how powerful he is, but we don't tap into that. We don't use the word of God to battle the work of the enemy, the fiery darts that he throws at you and I every single day. We have to have the word of God in order to overcome those things. And then he says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. This word is parakletos in the Greek. One who is called alongside to help, right? Specifically, John is talking about Jesus here. Jesus, our advocate, before he gifted the Holy Spirit. Specifically, he's talking about Jesus here. We are to move away from sin, right? Have you ever struggled with sin so much? It's like, it's, you know, when I was young, probably like sixth, sixth, seventh grade, and all my brothers, I have four brothers who, there's me, there's one. When we were in high school, there was a senior, a junior, a sophomore, and a freshman. We were all in high school together. And of course, my youngest brother, he always gets into trouble. He goes and conjures up trouble, and then he has to run up there. I was at senior hall. He has to run up there. He's like, these guys are chasing me. And these guys come up the stairs, and they see me and all the other seniors up there. And I just look at him. He's like, they all split. I don't know why I told that story, but it's funny. (laughs) I was his advocate that day. (laughs) So Jesus specifically here is our defense attorney, right? He's our defense attorney. Sin is what, oh, going back to the story, okay. Um, So my dad, because we started playing sports, we have this hill near our house, and I drive this hill now, and it's like, man, this hill is so small, but when you're in like fifth and sixth grade, this is like, this hill never ends. And he would take us, you know, we would already have, you know, come from some physical stuff, and he would come home and... He would tell, okay, all you guys get your running shoes on. We're going to go to the hill. And so I dreaded that hill. We go to that hill, and we started going up the hill, and I'm like, does this hill ever end? Man, this hill is like the sin that never ends. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. Eventually, you as a believer, the more you mature, the more of the word that you get in you, You overcome those hills. You overcome those battles. The strongholds in your life, the strongholds of sins that you deal with, are no longer strongholds because you matured, right? Maturing believers sin less. We're not sinless. We sin less. The longer we walk with God, the more we realize how much we love him. And when you love somebody, you want to do everything you can to please them, right? Like, I love my wife and I love my daughter and I want to do the things that I can to please them. But it's hard. It's like you're in a, you know, you want self-comfort for you and you're like, sometimes I don't want to please anybody. I want to please myself. That's That's when you need to check yourself. Take inventory of yourself. So Jesus is our defense attorney. 
The reality of life, guys, is that God wants us to move away from sin, right? But because we're still in our human bodies and still attached to these bodies, these sinful bodies, we're still going to sin from time to time. There's no giving about that. Unless you go and be a monk somewhere, but then you still got to deal with your thoughts. What are you going to do about that? We're going to talk a lot today about walking in obedience and not sinning against the Lord, right? But we need to keep in mind that there are going to be times when we sin. Nobody is going to be able to reach a state of never sinning. And if they do, you better run from them because they are lying. And then, the, and then he says we have an advocate, the paracletos, alongside. Specifically here, our advocate is Jesus here, Right? He is the one, when we do sin, we go to him, we just read it in uh, 1 John chapter 1. What do we do when we mess up, when we sin? We go and we confess. Confession is a sense. Confession is obedience. Right? Obedience pleases the Lord. Because we humble ourselves and we come to God. God, I messed up with this. I'm sorry. Please cleanse me. Our advocate, he's there waiting for us to come and be obedient and confess those things and move forward. So, Paracletos, we've seen this term used by Jesus to describe the Holy Spirit as another comforter. Jesus being the first comforter, this term also has another use, that of a defense attorney, which we just covered. One who pleads for your case before a judge. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, he left us the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, right? Or our advocate here on earth with us. He's with you right now. Do you know that? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is with you right now? He's your advocate even right now. But Jesus never stopped being our advocate either. Isn't that great news? Now he's in heaven as our defense attorney, pleading our case before God the Father. So the picture is that of a courtroom in heaven, as we can just picture this. Pastor Ben has used this illustration. God the Father sitting up in the place of the judge. Our defense attorney, Jesus, is sitting by our side, by, G- by the Father's side. And the prosecuting attorney, if we go to the next slide, the prosecuting attorney who accuses us before the judge, before God the Father, is saying himself, Revelation 12.10 says this, For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. The devil comes to kill and destroy you. He does not want you to grow in your walk with God. He does not want you to be holy, righteous, walk in the way that's obedient to God. He wants to come and kill your walk. He wants people who are lost to stay lost. And that's why we see so many different religions, so many different ways of coming to know the universe. I'm like, forget the universe. I know who snapped that into existence. You want to bring your universe? How, what type of universe? You research that. There's thousands, probably millions of universes. And the Bible says God spoke them into existence. You want to bring me your universe? So Jesus is our defense attorney. He's sitting by our side. The prosecuting attorney who accuses. 
For the accuser, the devil, Satan accuses us before God's throne, but Jesus stands up for our defense. We thank God for that. In Hebrews 7, chapter 27, 25, it says this, Therefore, he is also able to save to the othermost those who come to God through him, Jesus, since he, Jesus, always lives to make intercession, intercession for them. All your struggles, all your temptations, everything that you go through this life, Jesus, our advocate, is there interceding for us. And he does more than just argue a good argument, right? Jesus does more than that. He also steps up to pay the fine that you cannot pay. You can't pay it. I don't care how many times you go to church. How many times you read your Bible? How many times any good thing you think you're doing, you cannot pay it. That's great news because there's so many people working to get saved through other means. And Jesus says, it's already done. Do you believe that? Jesus is on your side. Jesus is on your side on the, on the next slide here. You know, we can get to a place where we have this paranoid idea. I don't know about you guys because I have this. There's paranoid idea that God is always out to get us. You know, for young believers, when I was a young Christian, I'm like, man, I better not sin because God is right there. I had a wrong view of God. It's just maturing in the Lord. You realize how gracious he is. And he wants us to live an obedient life to him. So we have this paranoid idea that God is out to get us. God is not out to get you. It's the opposite, right? It's the opposite. Check this out on the next slide. Jesus is on this one right here. Jesus is on your side. Look at this. Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he says this. This is for you who confess Jesus as your Lord, right? This is for you who are saved this morning. This is what... Paul is writing and wants you to understand and know. What then shall we, shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's you and I. It is God who justifies, not you, not I, not works. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Christ paid the sin for you and I, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. We come to Jesus. We come to Jesus. We are all, I'm always going to preach Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament all points to Jesus. The only person, the only one who could save you is not religion. It's not your works. It's a person. We have to understand that we don't come to a religion. We don't get. We don't. Are we are not saved by this religion? Religion kills. Jesus saves. We come to Jesus, and He says in verse thirty-five, "Who shall separate us from the love of Christ?" Physically, Paul has gone through what he's writing. He says, "Shall tribulation." Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Some of us haven't experienced those things in our lifetime the way that we live today, right? 
Paul experienced all this. He was beaten, shipwrecked, thrown off a cliff. And he's writing to make sure that that the Christians in Rome understand that God is for you. He's right with you. Stay the course. Stay the course. Isn't that comforting news for you and I today? That is great. That's great news. That's great news. Sometimes in our walks with God, we get to a place where our, relig- our, our walks have become stagnant, right? They become, man, they become, oh, I got, oh, I'm doing this thing. They become routine, routine. Sometimes we need to get to a place where, God, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me with your Spirit. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we have other believers who just disregard the Holy Spirit, the power that it has, the gifts that it gives us, that he gives us. And they rely on intellectual things. They, they rely on, I know the word of God. They miss the power. They're not plugged into Jesus. They know intellectually what they know of the word. But there's no power in it. There's no power in it. I challenge you this morning. If you're in that state, go to God. Have, you, have we lost our first love? Revelation. John's writing to the church in Ephesus. Man, you're doing all these great things. You're serving me. You're feeding the poor. You're doing all that a church is supposed to do. But I have one this. I have one thing against you. You've left. You've left your first love. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do you show up to church this morning? Why? You could be anywhere else. I could be getting ready, uh, tailgating, or getting ready to do something else. Why are you here? Because we love Jesus. Why are there many thousand different languages throughout this world that worship God? It's not because of religion, but because of a person. We come to a person. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says this, And he himself, on the next slide, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Remember, we talked about propitiation, right? We talked about it. So check this out. In the Old Testament, a propitiatory was a place where wrath was satisfied, where the price was paid. So the mercy seat, and this is in the Old Testament, so I don't got time to go back there, but in the, the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant was a propitiatory, where blood was sprinkled and the sins of the people of Israel were taken care of. The idea is that Jesus' death was, the, was what paid the price of God's righteous wrath for our sins. Propitiation. Say that with me. Propitiation. The word propitiation carries the basic idea of appeasement or satisfaction, specifically towards God. Propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of an offended person and being reconciled to him. 
In 1 John 4.10, it says, in this, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God loved you first and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is, Jesus is the only way to the Father. Sometimes we hear it as believers, it becomes mundane, it becomes like, oh yeah, Jesus is the only way. No, he is Yeshua, is the only way to the Father. And then everything else that we go through in life, coming to church, reading our Bible, praying, loving each other, without knowing God, all those things are useless. Knowing God by believing that Jesus died for you and he was raised and he loves you. Right? So check this illustration out about propitiation. A Bible teacher, G. Campbell Morgan, told of a coal miner who came to him and said, I would give anything to believe that God would forgive my sins, right? But I cannot believe that he will forgive, forgive them if I just ask him. It is too cheap. Sometimes I think, man, that's just too cheap of a way to be forgiven by God is just by asking. Morgan said, my dear friend, have you been working today? Yes, I was down in the mine. How did you get out of the pit? Did you pay? The miner said, of course not. I just got into a cage and was pulled, pulled to the top. Were you not afraid to entrust yourself into that cage? Was it not too cheap? Morgan asked, oh, no, said the miner. It was cheap for me to get in, but it cost the company a lot of money to sink the shaft. Suddenly, the truth struck that coal miner, and it should, struck, it should strike you and I. That what had cost him nothing cost God everything, his son. It's not cheap to come to Jesus. It's not cheap to say that I need you, Jesus. This miner had never thought of a great price God paid to send his son so he could rescue fallen humanity. Now he realized that all anyone had to do was to get into the cage of faith. Ain't that amazing? <laughs> that's, that's what we have to do. That's what we tell the world to do. Hey, Jesus is here to save you. You are a sinner. There's no other way for you to pay that sin. He is the only way. Do you believe it? Think about your salvation. I know for me, it was January 2000. I was sitting in a church of about a couple thousand people. And it was a spiritual thing that God performed. It was a miracle. I didn't know anything but about anything. I wasn't obedient to his word. I wasn't already looking like a Christian. I was a sinner, lost. I just believed. It's that simple, the Bible tells us, and yet we make it so complicated. No, you got to believe and you got to be obedient. You got to read your word. You got to do this. You got to do this. No, Jesus said, just come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can we go to him? So Jesus didn't just die for 
some according to this verse, but for the whole world. You know, there's other brothers and sisters that we know that are believers. They believe that Jesus only died for the elect. The elect is the ones who were chosen by God. But I beg to differ. I beg to tell them, what about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What do you say to that? The free gift is universal to all men and women, all people. It's you and I who have to make the decision if we are to accept that gift, to get into that little cage that the miner had. He didn't know, he, he, did, he never thought about it. He just got in because he knew if he got in that he would get out. And that's the way we have to come to God is by faith. Jesus didn't just die for some, but for the whole world. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21, says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's your ministry, if you are a believer this morning, is to reconcile the lost to Jesus. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, you and I, if you profess to know him, we are ambassadors for Christ, right? God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that, you, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. It's through Jesus. Very next slide, 1 John 2, 3, and it says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. To know and keep, if you go through the book of 1 John and just circle know and keep, there's a bunch of know and keeps in here. So know and keep, the repetition of these words emphasizes that those genuinely born again display the habit of obedience. Obedience results in the assurance or confidence of your salvation, right? That these two words are among John's favorites is clear since he uses no approximately 40 times and keep approximately 10 times in this letter. So John is saying that the real way to know that you have come into any kind of knowledge of God is when you keep his commandments. Keep here in the Greek is terejo. To attend to carefully, take care of, to guard, to observe. So what commandments, the next one is going to be, what commandments are we to keep? In Matthew chapter 22, 36 to 40 says this, Teacher, which is the great commandment? And it's, this is uh, somebody talking to the Lord Jesus. He says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love God, love your neighbor. You notice how, e how simple it is, the command we are to keep. What is the command we are to keep? Do we go back to the Ten Commandments? Jesus fulfilled the Ten Commandments. We are to love God and love your neighbor. 
Very next slide. Now let's define what love is. Okay? Now we know that Jesus tells us, John is telling us that we should keep his commandment. What is love? And I know you all have, you know, these, this is stated at weddings. First Corinthians chapter, first Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 8 says this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, through, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. So this is love. This is the definition of love. Verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will all vanish away. God's love will never fail us. His love will never fail us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 on the next slide says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandment is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So one of John's points is to show the difference between what people say and what they do, Right? If we confess to be believers, to be followers of Jesus, there's a certain obedience, there's a certain walk that should look like, and that's walking like Jesus. We are not to just, don't just believe the words. Look at the actions of yourself and minds. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 23, Jesus writes and he said, Jesus is uh, speaking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And then he says this, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works, works in your name, God? And, and then And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's very powerful. Right? Listen, obedience is not salvation. Obedience is not salvation. Jesus is the only propitiation for our sins. Romans 10, 8 to 10 says this, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Are you saved this morning? If you're not, I just gave you the gospel. What are you going to do about it? Do you want it? Do you want God's gift? Do you want God's gift of salvation? There it is. And what is that? Believe in your heart. You don't have to bring baggage. You don't have to bring anything else. Is believe in your heart. Obedience is not salvation. Jesus is the only propitiation. He's the only way. 
And you know, do you notice the theme I'm going through? Jesus, Jesus, that's why you're here this morning. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. We point people to Jesus. Okay, on the next slide, First John 2.5 says, But whoever keeps his word and in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Keeps is the idea that our love for God is completed when we walk in obedience, right? When we walk in obedience to, the wor- to what God has for us, that, that walking right there becomes perfected. Because you're being obedient. We are to abide in Christ. In John chapter 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, Jesus is talking, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Perfected here in the Greek is teleo, to make perfect, complete, to carry through completely, to accomplish, to finish, to bring to an end, to complete. And what is yet wanting in order to render a thing full. So you get born again, you lived in the darkness, and now you come to the light. Now you're walking with Jesus, he empowers you with the Holy Spirit, and now you're starting to mature in Christ, right? You're starting to mature in Christ. Now you're knowing Jesus, you're knowing God by his word. By coming here and listening to his word, or you yourself, with the power of the Holy Spirit, reading your word and him illuminating those things which you have not understood before. You're being perfected in your faith as we mature in Christ. You're not the same person when you came to Christ way back when. The sins that you struggle with way back when, there's a maturity in your Christian walk that we deal with those sins and we overcome them. Now, Jesus says you will fall because we still live in a sinful state. We still live in this sinful nature. We still live in this sinful world. But when we do, we have our advocate, Jesus, our advocate, the Holy Spirit, that we go to and be cleansed and move forward. No, if we obey his commandments, then we can know that we are in him and his love is being perfected in us. So the very last slide here, we're going to close out with this. First John 2, 6, it says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Abide here in the Greek is meno. It means to remain, to abide, to remain under. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. If Jesus is with you, it don't matter what's going on in your life, in the world. If he's with you, He's telling us to remain in him regardless of how difficult life is. Life happens, right? People are going to die that we love. People are going to get hurt. There's bad things in this world. There's circumstances we cannot control that we have to remain, abide in Jesus in order to come through. 
John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you cannot do anything everlasting. The power of God that saves the world is through Jesus. It's not through a pastor or conduits. It's not through other people. It's only through Jesus. Now, he says to walk as Jesus walked. Walking is remaining in Jesus by abiding, and the result of that is our worship of obedience. Do you love God this morning? Those of us who are believers, do we love God this morning? Yes? Let me ask you this. Can a Christian not love God? We all walk in disobedience at times, right? We all get to a place where We just flat out sin against God. Obedience is a worship to the Lord. The more that we know God and how he wants us to act, we shall be obedient to that. It's not enough for us as a church. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ as Lord this morning, it's not so, it's not Good for us to show up at church, read our Bibles, and then just go out and live the way that we want to live. It doesn't work like that. That's challenging. God is telling us, do we want, do we love God? We have to know God. Knowing God through his word, through fellowship. And when we know God, We know what pleases God, right? We know what to do, what not to do. The Bible clearly tells us all that. And then we walk in obedience to him by abiding in Jesus. Because you and I can't do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we close, as the worship team comes on, We are to walk, remain in Jesus by abiding, and the result of it is our worship of obedience. You know, our core values here is to love God, love others, and live radically. That's what Calvary Chapel of Lubbock, that's that's the values that we have. It's so simple, but yet sometimes we make it so complicated. I pray and I hope this morning that everything I've said here does one thing for you. Points you to Jesus. Because <laughs> that's what it's all about. It's to point you to Jesus. Right? Because he is the only one that can save us. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I'm inviting you to come and know him. And how do you do that? 
You simply believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and he will save you. Just like he saved me in January 2000. Didn't know anything from anything. I said, Jesus, I believe you. I don't know anything else. But I know that you love me and that you died for me and I believe you. And then here I am on this journey and you're on the same journey. If you're here this morning, you don't know him. Confess to him. He will save you. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You just said, God, I need you. Please save me. If we are here this morning and we belong to the king, I challenge you and I encourage you to walk in obedience to him. Please. May we be obedient to God. When we're obedient to God, we show God, we tell God that we love him. Right? When we're obedient to him. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for your son, Jesus. That's why we're here this morning, God. That's why we sing these songs. That's why we show up here on a Sunday in this building, God. Because of your son, Jesus. God, show us, teach us, help us to know you more and more every single day. God, that your love, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control will be the evidence. As we, as your people, belong to you, God, as we live it out, others may see us, Lord. So I pray that for our church, God, that we would know more about you, that we would love you and be obedient to you, Father. Empower us this week. Give us wisdom and knowledge to accomplish all that you have for us to do this week, God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.